You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Rodney Green sits fly ball, center field, deep, Taylor back, still going, looking up, it's gone! Riley Green's first career home run is a walk-off bomb to center field! Hey, this is Riley Green, and you're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. And here's your host, Dan Hasty. We've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is that by the time you're listening to this, Riley Green will likely be considered the number one prospect in Major League Baseball. Adley Rutschman, the most recent number one overall prospect, the catcher for the Baltimore Orioles, is likely going to exceed his prospect eligibility status. That's going to bump everybody up a notch. That's going to bump Riley Green into the number one prospect in Major League Baseball. Now the bad news. Is that going to last very long? Probably not. Eventually, you get enough at-bats, you no longer have prospect status. When he does, the Tigers will only hold one top 100 prospect. That's Jackson Job, currently number 30 on the MLB Pipeline Top 100. But we offer you a ray of hope. The Major League Baseball draft is coming. It's part of All-Star Weekend. And we just found out that there's a real chance the Detroit Tigers could add a second Top 100 prospect with their choice at number 12 overall in the first round. You know who we just got word from? Jim Callis, the senior writer for MLB Pipeline, the same organization that ranks the top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball. He tells us that the Tigers will have an opportunity to add what is a vital asset. Chances are that pick at number 12 overall, a couple of weeks from now, a month from now, two months from now, is going to be as high as the number two overall Detroit Tigers prospect. Will the Tigers go with a high schooler? For the second consecutive year? Would they go a high school pitcher for the second consecutive year? Is that too risky? Jim Callis, the senior writer of MLB Pipeline, is set to join us here on the Road to Detroit podcast, presented by Carhartt. I'm Dan Hasty. That is Nate Wangler, our producer. Coming up on today's show, we will talk to the godfather of MLB Pipeline, Jim Callis. He's He's kind of the Mel Kuyper of the MLB draft, and obviously there's so many different names, and We don't get to know a lot of the baseball prospects the same way that we get to know the NFL draft prospects, the NBA draft prospects. It's kind of a different ballgame. But when it comes to Major League Baseball and its draft, Jim Callis is as plugged in as anybody in Major League Baseball. You want to hear us talk through all the possibilities for the Tigers at 12? Jim Callis is the person you need to hear from. He comes up in just a little bit.
One of the more under-the-radar stories in the Tigers system over the past month has been Daniel Cabrera. Of course, he was taken in that same draft where Spencer Torkelson and Dylan Dingler were selected, and the three of them started their careers in West Michigan a season ago. And it was Dingler and Torkelson who got promoted, even though Cabrera was hitting close to 300. He stayed a little longer, ended up finishing his time in West Michigan, having seen his batting average go down to about 240. He then ended up in Erie, and it was a struggle. The final two weeks of the season, he hit 170, and this year he hit just over 180. He ends up getting reassigned down to West Michigan, kind of a chance for a mental and physical reset, and he responded. He hit 346 during his 24 games in West Michigan, 36 base hits in 24 games, including three homers, 13 runs batted in, an on-base percentage near 400, who was hitting the tar out of the baseball, hitting it extremely hard during his time as a Whitecap this year, and he has earned a second chance back in A. Kind of went back to the drawing board a little bit and simplified things. Kind of got back to what's made Daniel Cabrera a good hitter through his college years and his first half in West Michigan. Hopefully he's able to carry that into double A. He's still the Detroit Tigers' number 19 prospect. That ship has not sailed on Daniel Cabrera. Meanwhile, the ship is coming in for time Madden. Boom! One, two from Madden. Got him. Fastball gets the outside black. It's another strikeout for Madden, a looking strikeout this time. Ty Madden, the reigning Midwest League Pitcher of the Week. So the draft is coming. Daniel Cabrera is hitting, and Ty Madden is shoving. That's the big news in the Tigers minor league system. Let's hit the on-ramp. Shout out to the Complex League. The Tigers got off to a hot start last week. They beat the FCL Blue Jays and the Phillies before a 9-8 loss to the Yankees. The rules say that you have to play the FCL Yankees at least eight times a week. <laughs> Meanwhile, Adinso Reyes, non-drafted free agent. He was an international signing out of the Dominican Republic. He continues to have a lot of success at the plate. He finished the month of June slashing a 400 batting average with an on-base percentage just shy of 460. He had a home run and 13 RBIs. Good to see that bat that we expected to see take steps forward starting to progress. Similar numbers in the outfield, Iverson Leonardo. I just want that name to be heading up the minor league system. He signed as a non-drafted free agent as well. Two-double game, drove in three, and he finished the month of June with very similar numbers to Reyes. 351 at the plate, 470 on base percentage, hit four homers, and drove in 12. Let's go to low A Lakeland. Right across the street from the complex lead, the Flying Tigers started the week by stealing a pair of games against Clearwater. Garrett Burhen, remember that name, a ninth-round pick in last year's MLB draft. Out of what school, Nate? They trademarked this, by the way. The Ohio State University. Do you have to say TM after you say it out loud? <laughs> Uh, TM with the circle around it. <laughs> All rights reserved. He tossed three <laughs> shutout innings on the 29th on just one hit. He struck out three. We're seeing some of the starting pitchers at the lower levels of the system start to throw shorter amounts of innings in their starts. Tigers are trying to ensure that these guys make it through a full season, and they don't want to put too many innings on their plate at this juncture of the season. So don't be surprised if you see pitchers having fewer and fewer innings over the course of the next couple of weeks. It's like getting regularly scheduled maintenance on your vehicle. It's just good <laughs> business. But Garrett Burhan's been really good. 
He's held opposing batters to a under 200 batting average. So far this year, 4-1, a 2.65 ERA. The ninth round has been a good place for the Detroit Tigers. That's the round they found Tarek Skubal in back in 2018. Meanwhile, Isaac Pacheco, he was one of the big draft picks last year. Second round pick, the Tigers' third selection overall in that draft. Tigers' number 11 prospect, a solid week. He had a three-hit game with a triple and a couple of RBIs. Let's go to high A West Michigan. The Whitecaps are playing low-key, really good baseball over the course of the last month or two. In the month of June, they finished 15-11, and and they started the month of July with a victory as well. Out of the first four games against Fort Wayne, they took three of those first four contests. Meanwhile, continued success for Ty Madden. Same goes for Daniel Cabrera. Best of luck to Cabrera out in Erie. And Esni Chacon, an outfielder, has been added to West Michigan's roster. So they get Chacon in place of Daniel Cabrera. And he's interesting. Speed-defense combination who actually led the Detroit Tigers organization, major or minor leagues, with 48 stolen bases back in 2018. Now, the stolen base numbers have come down a little bit since that time, but so has his batting average. He just hasn't had a lot of trips on base and hasn't had a chance to show off that speed until this year. And this one is in the left field. It's going to get down and pass the left fielder, Rozier. Chacon can fly. Let's see how far he's willing to take it. He's in the third base with a two-out triple. Welcome to West Michigan, Esni Chacon. He's on the board with a hit, and so are the Whitecaps. Down in Lakeland, Chacon hit 337 with a 402 on base percentage. Had six stolen bags in 30 games. You stretch that out over the course of a full season, you're talking about a stolen base total somewhere between the 20s and maybe even up into the 30s, depending on how things go. A couple of years ago, Esni Chacon was considered a prospect in the Tigers organization. He was even ranked as high as number 34 by the Detroit News a couple of years ago. They saw something in him. Obviously, the Tigers did as well, but he had struggled at the plate his last two professional seasons. He had 185 in 2019, 247 in 2021, but all the while, he hadn't really gotten an extended opportunity in low A. But this season has been a jumping-off point for the 22-year-old. Jake Holton, a 10th-round pick in 2019 out of Creighton, got off to a hot start this week, and he picked the perfect team to do it against because the Fort Wayne Tin Caps watched him hit five homers against them at their ballpark about a month and a half ago. I'm pretty sure they will ban him from the city of Fort Wayne the (laughs) remainder of this season. He had a home run, his sixth against Fort Wayne, his 10th on the year, and he's already got six runs batted in through the first three games of that series. Let's go to double-A Erie. The Seawolves started the week, a pair of wins over the Akron Rubber Ducks. Wenzel Perez had two multi-hit games to begin the week, two doubles, a triple, and RBI. He has reestablished himself as a Detroit Tigers top 30 prospect. Meanwhile, Austin Bergner has two. He's in the mid-20s, according to MLB Pipeline, and a rare struggle for Austin Bergner in his last outing. Gave up four runs in four innings, struck out three, but he has been really good more often than not this year. So is Andre Lipsius. Get a load at the numbers Andre Lipsius posted in the month of June. 
24-year-old former Tennessee volunteer hit 384 in June with an on-base percentage of 505. As my daughter would say, that's silly. <laughs> he had 17 walks and just nine strikeouts over the course of the month. Talk about figuring out the strike zone. He's seeing pitches better, and he's swinging at better pitches. Those two things come together, and those are the kind of numbers you can see. And in this case, Andre Lipsius is the beneficiary. Congratulations on an outstanding week for Andre Lipsius. Now we get on the bus, and we drive to Toledo. The Mud Hens, they got off to a good start in AAA. Pair of victories over the Louisville Bats. Kerry Carpenter's now in Toledo. Now a little more sample size after his outstanding debut. He ended up hitting safely in his first four games against Louisville, a double and an RBI. Since being promoted, Kerry Carpenter's hitting over 400. His on-base percentage is over 500. So, so far, so good for Kerry Carpenter. He's hit the ground running. And with the way things have fluctuated with the Major League roster this year, I don't think you can rule out anything when it comes to Kerry Carpenter possibly making it up into the big leagues at some point the remainder of this summer. On the mound, Garrett Hill was very good in his last outing. Gave up just one run through six innings. He struck out seven. He's given up just one run in his last 15 innings pitched with 18 strikeouts. He got off to a little bit of a slow start in AAA, but like every other level he's been at, he started to figure it out. And the nice thing about Garrett Hill, the learning curve has not been that steep. That's a look at the on-ramp. And now it's time for best in class of all the players in the Tigers minor league system. This one made the most noise. Here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball out to right field. It's hit pretty well. Noel on the run at the track, at the wall, and that ball is off the wall. De La Rosa scores. Rossoff coming around. He slides in safe, and the ball game is tied 9-9 here in the eighth inning. Yeah, anytime your walk total doubles your strikeout total in one month, I think you win best in class. Andre Lipsius was unreal in the month of June, and even over the course of the past week. At the time of this recording, Andre Lipsius has a five-game multi-hit hitting streak. Anybody can just string together a little old hitting streak. But Andre Lipsius has at least two hits in his last five games each. But this is something that we saw with him out in West Michigan for about a season and a half. We saw his ability to be patient, to take pitches. And you know what else? He hit for a ton of power in college. Really easy to forget that he ended up the single-season home run record breaker for the University of Tennessee. He actually broke Kristen Stewart's old record, former Tigers prospect. But he hit 384 in the month of June, a month that he began hitting at 243. Then, by the end of the month, he's hitting 290. At this stage in the season, you should not be able to bump your batting average up 50 points. And I think we can all agree there's a really big difference between a guy who hits 240 and a guy who hits 290. Congratulations, Andre Lipsius has turned his fortunes of his entire season around with an outstanding month and also a phenomenal last week. He is this week's best in class. But like most other weeks, there is a heated competition to get that rose uh, as we get ready for the Bachelorette to come back on TV. Who's getting the rose? Uh, only Nate Wangler can decide. Never seen a single episode, but I will tell you this week. You're clearly not married. <laughs> I 
team going with Garrett Hill. He's been a pleasant surprise so far this year. He just got 11 games at the double-A level, and then the Tigers decided we're going to challenge him. But at double-A, 80 strikeouts to just 20 walks at that level. So they bumped him up to triple-A. He dipped off for a little bit, but as you mentioned, again, the learning curve wasn't that long for Garrett Hill. He's been really, really solid, especially over his last couple of starts. You mentioned the hot streak. His last 15 innings pitched, 18 strikeouts. He's allowed just one run in that span of time. He's been doing really well at the AAA level. And at just 26 years old, again, there's a very real chance he could impact that team in Detroit very soon. Garrett Hill is the winner of this week's Dylan Rosa Award. I think it's hard to ignore the strikeout numbers. When you have almost 100 strikeouts in 69 innings, you've got to pay attention. And that strikeout rate has continued to increase year over year over year. He was an older prospect when he was picked. And look, there's a reason he was a 26th round draft pick. But every level he's gone, he's put up good numbers. And not only is he putting up good numbers, but they're getting better the longer he plays. And some prospects are like that. You could easily look up and Garrett Hill can have a 10-year major league career. But Garrett Hill, much like a fine wine, Getting better with age. By the way, just wait on the whole bachelorette thing. For now, you're like, not for me. But eventually, you'll be like, is it Monday yet? (laughs) Congratulations to Andre Lipsius and Garrett Hill. They are the best in class this week here on the RTD. And now, without further ado, the man who has compiled 6,000 mock drafts for this (laughs) year's MLB draft. I might have overshot that a little bit. Jim Callis, the senior writer of MLB Pipeline, joins us right here for an extended conversation about the Detroit Tigers, where they might go with their selection with the number 12 overall pick. Lots of names to discuss when you get around the number 12 spot. You can follow Jim Callis on Twitter at Jim Callis MLB. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. He is to Major League Baseball what Mel Kuyper is to the NFL. It is mock draft season. And in baseball, you never know which way things will go. He's the senior writer for MLB Pipeline. He's Jim Callis. Say hello to the good people of RTD. Hi, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for the kind introduction there, Dan. <laughs> Let's get to the draft in a second. I just got done reading an article you did and some of the people at Pipeline talking about every team's best draft pick from the past decade. And you guys had Riley Green. I love it. This guy has been so much fun to watch go up the minor league chain. How satisfying is it for you to watch these prospects blossom in the major leagues? Because, I mean, this year alone, you've had guys like Bobby Witt Jr., Adley Rutschman, and Julio Rodriguez. That's a big class. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a pretty special class. I mean, I, and I'd throw Spencer Torkelson in there. I know, I feel like Tigers fans, some of the shines off Spencer Torkelson because he hasn't come out and, and torn it up right away. But I, I think Spencer, I mean, Spencer Torkelson was about as good a college bat as there's been in the last 20 years, um, you know, just in terms of combination of, of bat and power and, 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 you know, play discipline. So I think he's going to be big too. But no, I mean, it was, we, we noticed that coming into the year that a lot of almost – I want to say eight of our top 10 prospects entering the season. We're going to play in the big leagues this season and, and probably graduate off the list. And, you know, Riley obviously would have been up there quicker if he hadn't been hurt. But uh, I mean, as you know, and as Tigers fans know, I mean, basically since they drafted him, he went to that first spring. Well, even his first pro summer, he came in and hit the ground running hard. And then he 
went to that first spring training and was tremendous. And it, it's, it's just been a matter of time. I mean, it's, it's weird. It's like Riley's what only 21 years old, Dan, and it feels like we've been talking about Riley green in Detroit for maybe 10 years. I mean, I know it hasn't been 10 years, but it, it seems like we've been talking about him for a long time. Yeah. You're not kidding. He was on the show a couple of weeks ago. So we had to mention that let's go to the draft. What is the strength of this class? The strength of this class, I think is twofold. I think up top and the Tigers aren't picking up top. The strength of the draft is high school position players. We've got four high school position players ranked in the top four spots on our prospect list. And that's Drew Jones, the son of Andrew Jones, who's a a center fielder who reminds you a lot of his dad. It's Jackson Holiday, who's Matt Holiday's son, who's a potential five-tool shortstop. There's Elijah Green, who's probably got the highest ceiling, a little bit more bat risk than the other guys. He's the son of Eric Green. If you can imagine Eric Green, the NFL tight end, like playing center field, that's kind of Elijah. Like he's this big physical athlete. And then Termar Johnson is the other guy. And he's not really, he's not related to anybody, anybody knows, but um, he might be the best pure high school hitter to come out of the draft in, in two decades or so. So, so that's the strength at the top. And then I think, you know, if you're talking about the strength overall, the first round, the first 50 picks, I do feel like the college position player crop is deeper than usual. We don't have that Spencer Torkelson or Adley Rutschman up at the very top that you're focusing on, but out of the top 50 picks, there might be, I haven't counted them up, but there might be 15 or 20 college bats go in the top 50 picks. So I feel like that's, that's the depth of the draft. And then the, the weakness, because so many guys got hurt this year, is, is college pitching there there's you know probably at least a half dozen college pitchers who would have been pretty good bets to be first round picks but they got hurt a lot of them had tommy john surgery and there's even a couple of the best high school guys the same things happen too so i, I think it's going to be a hitter heavy draft it's so funny you mentioned the college pitching crop being by and large mostly hurt i noticed you moved Cade horton who we talked about last week on this show right-hander from Oklahoma, from out of your top 200 entirely up to a top 25 player. What's interesting to me is that he's post-Tommy John surgery. And it makes me wonder, are we at a stage now where having gotten past that surgery, having gotten it out of the way, is actually a benefit? It feels so commonplace nowadays. Yes and no. I don't know if I'd call it a benefit. I mean, I definitely feel like you feel pretty good about guys coming back from, and obviously Kate Horton's come back really strong. Like it just took him a little while. Um, it's just normal timetable. You know, he started pitching at the end of March and it was, I think 14 months after surgery, the first couple months, it was just, okay. You, you saw flashes of stuff. And then he got further away from the Tommy John and, and picked up a really good slider and, and for five weeks in the playoffs, he was lights out. So I, I do think, yeah, I mean, you, you feel like, okay, he's had it, you know, these guys have had it under their belt, you know, they're going to come back from, especially someone like Kate Horton's actually pitching well. I think the flip side is, it's not like it's a permanent fix where you're necessarily, okay, you know, Kate Horton or whoever's good to go for 20 years. So I think there's a little bit of that, but like, I, I, I really don't think, I don't think with somebody like Kate Horton, it's really going to matter at all because he's back and he's pitching well. And it just seems like, like in today's era where it's, pitch as hard as you can, as long as you can. And when you break, we'll just put in the next guy that Kate Horton's pitching well right now. And, you know, maybe he doesn't have a guarantee that the elbow is never going to give it out again, 10 years from now, but he looks really good right now. So boom, like we're, we're happy. And, and, and I think you feel better about that. There's a lot of guys with Tommy John who are going to probably go in the top 50 or 60 picks who, who haven't come back from it yet. And they're still going to get paid handsomely. 
and, and you feel pretty good about it and come back, but in the back of your mind, you'd still like to see him on the mound doing it. Um, like Kate Horton is, or like Connor Prelip, who didn't pitch in a game in Alabama, but he he's thrown a couple of bullpens and, and his stuff looked like his old stuff when he was at the con- draft combine. So um, I, I wouldn't say benefit, but I, I think in some ways you're not wondering, you, you, like for some of these guys who've been dealing with stuff, yeah, you're almost glad like, okay, he had the surgery. We know what we're dealing with. Now let's just keep going. Interesting to see some of those pitchers who are in active recovery right now still being bantered about as first-round picks. It obviously isn't stopping a lot of these guys from getting opportunities, from being selected. We talked to Brian Sikowski, the national cross-checker from Perfect Game, and we talked about the number one overall pick and having that pick. Last year, we saw the Pittsburgh Pirates cut the underslot deal with Henry Davis, the catcher. Baltimore is on the clock this year. How do you think that pick gets handled this year? Well, we, we, we have to basically guess, Dan, because the Orioles are going to not, they're going to keep it close to the vest for leverage purposes right up until the last minute to see, you know, like, like even if there's a guy they want right now that nobody, you know, like nobody knows who that one guy is that they're dead. Like if they were locked in today on a guy, they're going to act like that's not the case. And, you know, shoot, if you could save $100,000 on him at the last second, that's money you can spend on our draft pick with bonus pool. So, so we don't know for sure, but it, it, I do think it's funny. So my last mock draft, I had them taking Termar Johnson, who I mentioned is, is this, you know, really advanced high school hitter. And I mentioned that part of the appeal is that of the guys, I, like they're looking at five guys and we don't know exactly who those five guys are. I think it's the four high school guys I mentioned and Brooks Lee from Cal Poly. He's, he's a shortstop who, Pride moves off short in the long run. Um, and I think Termar Johnson would save them the most money of those five guys. I'm not saying that means he's the fifth best player. It's just, I think if he does, like, just the way from what we're trying to piece together, he might last the longest of any of those guys if he doesn't go number one. So you have more leverage over him. And so all the Orioles fans got all upset. Or not, I shouldn't say all, but many Orioles fans got upset on Twitter. Like, what are they doing? Another discount. We, we took discounts with, with Heston Kerstad and Colton Kowser at two and five the last couple of years. And those weren't necessarily guys. They were talented players, but they weren't guys you would take in that spot on talent. The difference is Termar Johnson would fit there on talent. We're, we're talking about a guy who might hit – 300 with 20 plus homers a year playing second base that'll work so I, I well this is a long way of saying I think they're going to make a pick based on talent they're going to take a worthy player this won't be hey we're pushing a guy up who would have gone 10th we're going to take him at one and save three million dollars I think they're going to take a guy worthy of that number one pick and but it may come down to who takes the biggest discount or, okay, we're going to line them up in our head, how we think they belong. And then what's each guy going to cost and, and, and where's the best intersection. So I, I think it's going to be a combination of talent and cost, but I don't think it's going to be what they've done with, with the second and fifth pick the last two years, which is we're going to push a guy up who wouldn't go here on talent to save a lot of money. Talk to me about the, opinion of major league baseball teams when it comes to somebody like Tamar Johnson in the sense of yeah he's 18 but he's only 5'10 175 pounds some teams value that physical projectability how important is that in your opinion well I mean it matters I mean also the physical projection matters too I mean and I do think I think Tamar is probably more like he might not be 5'11", but he weighs more than 175 pounds. He might be more like, like if you see Tamar, like he might be 
190. Like he's, you know, he's, he, he's not, you know, frail or lanky. Like he, he, and he can hit the ball hard. So, but I mean, I, I think the tricky thing with him about him, like going to the top of the draft is that you've never had a guy whose position projected at second base go at the top of the draft. I mean, he, he's a shortstop right now. And, you know, but most of your big league second basemen began their careers as shortstop and played a lot of shortstop in the minors. Um, and then they move either they get too big and they move to third or they're not, you know, they have, there's somebody else who's got more range and then they, they move to second. Um, yeah. You know, most of your, your infielders, you know, outside of first baseman played shortstop at, at some point. So I think that's the trickier part. I, I don't think there's any worry about the physicality and it's funny. Like, like I keep, I, I'm not saying he's gonna be this good, but like he's kind of a Robinson Cano style player. And if you got Robinson Cano with the number one pick, people would be pretty happy with it. But Orioles fans, I think, just like I said, focused on, like I was talking about, that he would probably be the biggest discount of the group. And I think they were like, oh, we're, the Orioles are just taking the biggest discount again. And that's not necessarily the case. Like, he's super, super talented. And if it's a good draft, there's really not a whole lot of downside in playing it the way that the Orioles are. Teams have pretty much made up their boards. Have that being said, when you're talking about the first round, even going 10 picks higher than what we all expect feels like a big move. What are the biggest factors leading up to a draft or on draft day that cause a player, other than, of course, that signability factor to move up the board this close to the draft? Um, yeah, I mean, and I don't even know that it's so much the guys are moving. It's more, I think there's a consensus as to who the top five or 10 players are. And then, you know, after you get past first few, you'll have them in a different order. You know, when you see a guy make a big league up, like last year, the Royals took Frank Mazzucato at number seven and nobody saw that coming, but that was strictly a financial deal. So I was going to say, if you, if, if on draft day, you see a guy, not, not that everybody's lists, you know, ours or ESPNs or who, baseball Americas or whoever, or Brian's list at PG, no, nobody's list is perfect. And, and teams have different lists too. So I'm not claiming that our lists are infallible, but if you see a guy on draft day, go say 10 spots higher than the consensus has him ranked, that almost assuredly is that guy cut a deal to go higher. You know, like, like you mentioned Kate Horton. And I think because he blossomed so late, like, I think we're all kind of like, we just had an update to our list and we put him at 24. Um, and I think Baseball America just updated their list and maybe they moved him up to 32. And, but like, I, you know, like he's probably all over the place on lists right now, just depending on when people last updated their list. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, especially because outside of the College World Series, most guys have been done playing for two plus weeks already, in some cases more, if you didn't even go to the postseason. And, and so you really aren't moving up. You know, it'd be more, team likes you and they're they're trying to move money around and cut a deal type of thing but like it's not like like i don't know does it like i follow the nfl draft i don't feel like on on like there may be some surprise picks but i don't feel like on nfl draft day too often maybe a quarterback but there's some guy we thought was going 30 and then goes 10 unless like john gruden's doing something crazy for the raiders and which obviously he's not anymore but you know what i mean like like maybe they're like and like in the nfl like what happens i think more if you have a guy you covet but he doesn't really belong where you pick you trade down and get extra pit, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's too much because, because there's really, I mean, they, this got a very long one answer. There's really not too much you could do at this point to, to boost your stock. Like you can't even, they changed the rules this year, three days before the combine started, I think, which is June 10th. You can't work out in, after that. You couldn't work out individually for teams. So it's not even like Termar Johnson's, 
he's not gonna get to 12 but going to tie you know comerica and put on a great show in bp you know yesterday and the and the tigers are like oh we gotta move up the board you, you can't even do that so like I, I think guys have pretty much positioned themselves the only movement might be you know what kind of deal you're you're willing to take Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jim Callis, senior writer from MLB Pipeline, joins us. Kate Horton feels hard to rank. So how hard to rank is Kumar Rocker? <laughs> well, Kumar's harder. Like, it's funny. Cade kind of crystallized. I was um, I was actually doing a podcast uh, with a, a Braves site, and we're talking about Kate Horton. And I realized I would take Kate Horton over any college pitcher in this draft. Like, you know, I mean, like, like, like I said, his comeback was kind of slow. Well, not slow. His comeback was on time, but like, it wasn't like he hit the ground running and he was going to dominate from day one when he first got back on the mound. And he was also playing as a two-way guy at the beginning of the year. But like, if you watch K Horton in the college world series and he's throwing 94, 98, and he's got a wipeout slider in the upper eighties, touching 90. I would take him over, and he's super athletic and he was a dude coming out of high school. Like he would have been a second round pick or a top 50 pick out of high school. If he would have been signable, I was like, well, he's the best guy. He's the best college pitcher. And, and I'm watching him pitch. So like, he was easy. <laughs> he was easy. That crystallized it when I was having that conversation. Kumar is impossible just because there are no medical reports right now. Teams have not seen medical reports. They will. I, I've been told they will get medical reports. I don't know to what extent, and I'm not a doctor, what they'll say. They will get some medical reports between now and when the draft starts on July 17th. But the problem with Kumar is, you know, he's the 10th overall pick in last year's draft out of Vanderbilt. And, and you know, that was the three of the four or four of the five teams picking ahead of the Mets cut below slot deals. So, what, like, it wasn't even like he was a 10th pick just on merit. You know, he was probably valued even a little bit better than that. And they agreed to a $6 million bonus. And then he failed the post-draft physical. And the Mets offered him literally zero dollars and said, we, we'd rather have the number 11 pick next year's draft. We, we don't want him to, you know, we don't want him to sign. So we're, we're offering you zero dollars. And the thing is, nobody knows what happened. You know, you know, like, I mean, pitching physicals are very subjective. You know, I, I know of many cases where there are some teams like, like, like you can take any pitcher in this year's draft. I mean, I ain't pitcher, but you take a lot of pictures of this draft and show his medical to the 30 team doctors. And you'd probably have 10 guys say, no, don't draft that guy. And 20 guys say, Hey, we think it's fine. Or, 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 or you know, it's, it's not like there's a, a, a boilerplate answer. Like, like it's just different for teams. Some teams will take more risk. Some teams won't. So we don't know. Is it elbow? Is it shoulder? Is it something else? Is it both? I've heard all kinds of crazy rumors. So he's pitching an independent ball. 
I, I don't, I don't know if he's pitched again. He'd pitched four times. I don't know if he was scheduled to pitch last night. So I don't know if he's pitched again um, or not, but he pitched four times. He's gone three or four innings every time he's touched 99. He's ripped off some really nice sliders. The competition's not very good. Um, you're happy with the stuff that's coming out of his hand. I mean, you're not necessarily seeing him go seven or eight innings and seeing how it would play deeper into games, but the stuff coming out of his hands has been really good. But again, I, I like I keep taking the easy way out of my mocks and just saying I, I'm not gonna to put him anywhere in a mock is just you're flat out guessing because you don't know. Like again, I'm I'm not a doctor. He is throwing hard. But like, what if you like get the medical reports and you're like, oh, I don't like the way the shoulder looks at all. Or I'll give you an example. Again, I'm, this is just hypothetical. Brady Aiken, when he was the number one overall pick, threw great all spring. And the Astros looked at the medical and they didn't like it and they didn't sign him. And it was this big controversy. And it turned out he didn't have an elbow tear, but his ligament was very thin. They didn't like how thin it was. They thought it was susceptible to a tear. So there's a case where a guy was throwing great. And he didn't have like, and the team was like, oh, we really don't like this. And literally the next time he took through a game in front of scouts, which was at IMG Academy, their graduate program, he blew out his elbow in the first inning. So um, all I'm saying is just the fact that Kumar's throwing 99 does not mean, oh, he's obviously healthy. We're all good. Let's just move on. So I, I you know, it's ranking him is impossible putting him in a mock drafts impossible. Like, I think you have to have some context of, Oh, you know what? The medical looks like talking to a few teams, but once they see the medical and if they tell you, Oh, like, you know what? Our guy's fine with it. It looks pretty good. Then I'd say, well, he might go in the first 15 picks. And if guys are like, Ooh, like, I don't know, like it looks really risky. Then he's probably somebody's second or third pick, but he's Dan, he's impossible just because I don't think <laughs> it doesn't make sense to believe the Mets just made something up. The Mets saw something, that spooked them terribly. And so it's hard to know, you know, again, maybe their doctor was ultra conservative. I, I, I don't know, but, but nobody knows. The last time we saw Kumar Rocker make a start was on Friday, July the 1st. We saw him go five innings. He gave up two hits, one unearned run on a walk with seven strikeouts through 69 pitches, had 44 of those for strikes. So that's the last time he took them out. My question is, is, how much stock should we put in to dominating independent league hitters? I, I don't think you care about the stats at all. I mean, unless he was just getting crushed. Like if he was giving up an ADRA, like you'd be like, oh, I, I think all you really care about is how he looks. Like, does it, is it coming out of hand well? Does he look like he's laboring? And I haven't heard that. I, I so he, you know, as you mentioned, he pitched last night. I haven't seen any reports, and I didn't, I didn't check Twitter. Like usually, when he pitches on Twitter, there's somebody who's at the game tweeting about how good the stuff looked. But I think you're solely concerned with ease of operation and how good the stuff looks, and, and that stuff's been what you've wanted to see. You know, the tricky part is, you know, his stuff fluctuated last year at Vanderbilt over the course of the season. Now, to be fair, that happens with a lot of guys. Jack Leiter's stuff fluctuated at Vanderbilt last year, too. Nobody, nobody in retrospect talks about the fact that Jack Leiter went through a stretch where he gave up eight homers and three starts and and then at the last second took the next start off. And then he came back after that and was dominant. And but like people, you know, there were times where Kumar was 91-94. So, you know, it's you know, you're you're happy how he's throwing. It's still not the same as like he went out and made 16 starts for Vanderbilt and he, you know, and he's going seven, eight innings and throwing great every time out. But, you know, this is, everybody knew this, what you're going to see. They aren't going to throw him hundred pitches. You know, I think 
he might he probably has one or two starts left like I, i'd heard a half dozen or so starts i don't know if they're going to stretch it and maybe he goes six innings and throws 80 pitches next time i mean at this point he's done it five times i i don't know that there's really that much more on the mound that that you're going to see um but yeah he's it's just it's, it's really really hard until you kind of have some sense of what we're dealing with with medically going to be really interesting to see where he goes on draft day. The updated top 250 players now available at MLB Pipeline. Jumping off, last year it was Khalil Watson, who you guys had as the number four overall prospect, but he slid to the Marlins at pick 16. And since the Tigers pick at 12, I think you know where I'm headed with this. Give us a name or two that maybe are high on your board or some boards that you might be see in any way, shape, or form falling into that range like Watson did last year. It feels like there's one every year. Yeah, no, there is. Because like we were, like I was saying, like you had picks last year, five, seven, eight, nine, were all deal cutters, and that pushes guys down. And then you get a guy who, and I think this was somewhat the case with Watson after you know he got past a couple picks. There was, you know, like, I think there's somebody telling you, hey, if you get to us, we'll pay you X. And so you start to slide a little bit more because you're throwing a big number out there. And, you know, I, the Marlins were not the team that was promising him X. They, they, they just took him. Um, so all that said, like, I don't <laughs> I don't think you're going to see a, a Khalil Watson type guy fall like the, the best guy who might follow Eric Green. Or I keep calling Eric Green. Elijah Green could slide a little bit just depending if the draft breaks a certain way and then a couple deals get cut maybe, but I don't see Elijah green getting past say the ninth pick in the draft. So like to me, maybe Jacob Berry at LSU, but like, I think he could maybe get to 10, 12 would be hard. I, I, I think, and this isn't that much of a fall like Jace young, the second baseman from Texas tech um, or Gavin cross outfielder from Virginia tech. We have ranked ninth or 10th. I really feel like if you're just looking at our list, those are probably the best players who are going to get to 12 because I feel like those top eight guys are all going to be gone by then. How many instant top 100 prospects would you guess are sitting in this draft pool? Well, I, you know, that's funny because I always think the number is higher than, than, than the average fan might think. And then this year, you know, we we're talking at the beginning of the show about how many guys have graduated off the list. There's been a lot of turnover. So just looking at our list, I would say at least I think our top 13 guys would all jump on the list. You know, the 14th would be interesting. That's that's Dylan Lesko, who probably would have been the first pitcher drafted. He, he's a high school kid from Georgia, but he had Tommy John, too. Um, like that would be an interesting one because he's pretty advanced. He's kind of like a college pitcher pitching in high school, if you will, in terms of how advanced he was. And the stuff was really high quality as well. You know, so like, I think when you start getting that 14, 15, 16 range on our list, it's a little tougher to see, uh, you know, like, like we'd have to see what the list looked like is I guess what I'm trying to say, but I would say at least 13 guys, I think would be pretty obvious top 100 guys for me. Did you hear that Tigers fans? That means a top 100 prospect might be sitting there waiting for you at 12. Let's talk about I Brock Porter. They follow our list. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause everybody always does. Right. Let's talk about Brock Porter, the high school right-hander yep. from Orchard Lake, St. Mary's high school. One of the best high school prospects to come out of the state of Michigan in quite a long time, maybe a couple of decades. What stands out with him for you? Um, yeah. You know, and I, and I do think Brock is going to be the first pitcher taken 
like not a lock, but I think a good chance could go as high as nine. I, you know, I feel like the Tigers, I think in a perfect world, you'd probably, you know, want them to take a hitter. Um, but he might be tough to resist. And we saw last year, like, I do think the Tigers will take whoever they think the best player is. Last year, I think they surprised some fans by taking Jackson Job, But Jackson Job has got a great arm and they took him. But, like, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he's probably the best prospect to come out of the state, pitching prospect to come out of the state. High school-wise, I'd say probably since Steve Avery, right? Um, and overall prospect-wise, maybe since Drew Henson. Um, but yeah, he, I think what stands out about him is coming into the year, you could argue he had the best, like, or most overpowering stuff of any of the high school pitchers. Um, you know, he's hit a hundred. He, he works in the mid nineties with ease. He's got good, good run and carry on his fastball. He has a really good changeup. It's one of the better changeups in the draft that really plays off the fastball, which is, you know, really kind of shocking for a high school pitcher to have a change up that good, especially when you can throw 94 to hundred. Like if I'm a high school hitter, I'm like, please don't throw that fastball. Let me have a chance to hit that the change up, but I can't hit the change up either. And, 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 you know, and you know, he's six foot four. There's still some projection remaining. He, he generates that velocity with little effort. It's a lot of strikes. So he isn't like to use another Michigan guy like Ryan Anderson back in the day where Ryan Anderson threw real hard, but you didn't know where it was going. Brock Porter has got some polish to him. And then I'd say the biggest step forward he made this year. So, so all that was great. You loved all that stuff about Brock, you know, fastball, change up, delivery, strikes, makeup, performance, um, all that. You know, he obviously is Gatorade National Player of the Year. But like the question coming in the year was like, ah, you know, the breaking ball is just kind of average. You know, we, we like to, you know, on the to do list, you know, things you'd like to see out of Brock Porter, want to see a better breaking ball. Well, <laughs> he's throwing a better breaking ball. Like he really made a lot of progress with his slider. I, I, I put a 55 on it on the 20 to 80 scale from talking to scouts, but he'll flash it. Plus he gets it up to 87. So it's got some power to it. He's got a downer curveball. That's more of an average pitch in the upper seventies, but, but yeah, I mean that, that was, I mean, really the only knock you would have had on him was like breaking balls kind of average would like to see more of the breaking ball, better breaking ball. And he did it. So um, you know, the industry as a whole gets a little skittish about taking high school guys and high school risk. But I just told, you know, as, as we we're talking about, Dan, a bunch of college pitchers got hurt this year. Pitchers get hurt. And, and so to me, like, yeah, there might be a little more risk. But like, who's to say the college pitcher I take isn't going to have Tommy John surgery or I haven't already had Tommy John surgery. I mean, guy, pitchers, unfortunately, get hurt. So I don't I, I don't think you can just blanket say oh i can't take a high school pitcher because of risk like at some point in the draft brock porter is going to be the best option on the board and it might be a pick 12 so he's 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 really exciting um um like i said i i, I you know maybe the highest he could go is six i i don't necessarily think the marlins are going to take him but i think they're the first team that might entertain a pitcher but i think the marlins at six the royals at nine and then I think once you get down to about pick 10 with the Rockies and they're on out that, that he's going to go somewhere in that range. You mentioned Jackson Job. Can taking the high school pitcher last year have any effect on taking one high in the draft in a year after? I don't think so. And like, I do think the Tigers are kind of old school, like, like, like there, there's some teams and I'm not, I'm not knocking data, but there's some teams will be like, Oh, there's risk. And, you know, their algorithm, they'll have a negative weight assigned to a high school pitcher. 
um, and pull them down. And, and, and the Tigers, I mean, you have a GM who used to be a scouting director. Like he, you know, so he has, I think, faith in the scouting process. And if his people tell him, if Al's people tell him the best guy is a high school pitcher two years in a row, then I think they'll take the high school pitcher. Um, so I don't think I, I you know, I, I think in some cases, if you were a risk averse GM uh, or, you know, I, you know, I think sometimes guys like, Hey, team's not playing well, you know, fearing for our jobs a little bit, we better get a college guy who can help us quick and save our jobs. I just don't think, you know, the tigers operate that way. So Jace young Brock Porter, depending on who's right in the column, from MLB Pipeline, <laughs> they're sitting there in the mock at 12 for the Tigers. Give us some other names that you might say are in play for Detroit. I know we've yeah. gone over a couple of them. You know, the, the, the names you hear the most are that second tier of, of college position players. I don't think they're going to get a chance at a Brooks Lee, who I talked about, you know, being one of the top five guys, or Kevin Parada, who's a Georgia Tech catcher, Cam Collier, who's Chipola, junior college third baseman, or, or Jacob Berry, who, who's at LSU position to be determined, but probably an outfielder. But I think any of those guys in that secondary college bats, Jace Young at Texas Tech, Gavin Cross at Virginia Tech, who's an outfielder, Daniel Susak at Arizona, who's a catcher, um, Zach Neto from Campbell, who's a shortstop. I think any of those guys are in play. And I think at least, you know, one or two of those guys will be available. Yeah, which two, I mean, it really could be random because I I, like what order Cross, Susak, Young, Neto go in or it could be, it could really be any order. And only one of them might even sneak in to like the top eight picks or so. But anyway, I think they'll get a shot at two of those guys. You know, Brock Porter, like I said, you know, could, could or cannot be in play. You know, the other one that's interesting is I do think they're one of the highest teams I've heard on Connor Prelip, who I mentioned out of Alabama, who was a potential number one overall pick in the draft, you know, last year. Um, and then he blew out his elbow and he had Tommy John surgery in May. And, he didn't rush back. I mean, you would have been pushing it to get back on the mound before Alabama season end ended, but he threw a bullpen before the SEC tournament in the rain. Um, and they threw a bullpen workout at the, at the draft combine a couple of weeks ago. And I think, especially in the combine workout, I mean, again, it's bullpen workout. It wasn't like he pitched six innings, but you saw the wipeout slider. You saw the 91 to 95 mile an hour fast. Well, he looked like kind of prelip again. So you felt like kind of like I was talking with Kumar, like you can't read like, Oh, like we've got 60 innings of data and, and he threw seven innings and this is what the stuff looked like in seventh, but you like, it looked like kind of prelip looked before he was hurt. Um, so I, I think kind of prelips in that mix somewhat too. Some loud tools for Connor Prelip. You mentioned the catchers, Kevin Parada, Daniel Susak, Georgia Tech and Arizona, respectively. When you're in a situation like the Tigers, where one of your top five prospects is considered to be a catcher of the future in a guy like Dylan Dingler, I know that the idea is to take the best player available, but you can only play one catcher. It's not like getting outfielders where you can play a bunch of them. There's only one. So talk to me about the idea of taking a catcher when your system already has what might be considered an organizational strength at that position. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, you, you have to more consider who the best player is and just the fact that prospects aren't sure things, you know, if you, if you took, like, I don't think pride will get to him, but let's say you took Daniel Stusak. He's a couple of years behind Dingler. So if Dingler's ready for the big leagues next year, 
She said, I might not be ready till 2025. So you, you, you have time to sort out that. And, and I, I would say, I like Dylan Dingler a lot. I've always, I've been a big Dylan Dingler fan coming out draft. However, I point out that in roughly half season last year, roughly half season this year, Dylan Dingler's hit 240 in AA. So it's not like he's can't miss, like Dylan Dingler's hitting 350 and you're like, okay, this guy's going to be in the big leagues. And he's like, Dylan Dingler's not a sure thing. So I, I think if you thought Susack was the best player on the board, you should take Susack and not worry about Dingler. Now, now it's a little different. Like it was weird a couple of years ago when the Giants took Joey Bart with the number two overall pick in the draft and then came back and got Patrick Bailey. That one kind of was like an eye opener because like, man, you just took this guy with the number two pick, you know, you know, and not, and not that it doesn't mean that, that you couldn't invest in it, even if Dylan Dingler was the number two pick, but he was the second rounder. You know, it's, it's just different. So I, I think you take, if Daniel Susak's the best guy on your board, he's the best guy on your board. Now, you know, you know, you could, I don't gain the board's the right way to put it. Like we have Suzak 12th on our board. So theoretically, if the time, if everybody was drafting off of our board, which I'm not purporting that they do. Okay. You know, Jace Young and Gavin Cross and Brock Porter are all gone when it gets to pick 12 and they're looking at Daniel Suzak. Now it could be that your scouting evaluation to have Daniel Suzak and, and, and Zach Neto at, at uh, Campbell um, and, you know, I'll even throw Justin Crawford, who's a high school offer from from uh, from Nevada. They're all very close to each other. You could maybe like say, okay, we have all these guys even, but we're going to put the two guys ahead of the catcher. Like, like you you could look at it that way. But I, I don't think I, I don't think they would just exclude. Hey, there's no way we would take Daniel Susak because we have Dingler. And I do think, honestly, like I, there's no way Prada is going to get to them. But I think if Prada did get to them, like he would be the best value on the board and they probably would just take Kevin Parada. You know, you did mention one other guy that I thought was pretty interesting in Zach Neto, the shortstop. He played at Campbell. And before we go, I wanted to get your thoughts on him because there have been some people that have mentioned his name along with the Tigers at number 12. Didn't play against some of the top level college competition, but he obviously had an unbelievable season. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, you know, and I will say, he also played about half a season in Cape Cod League last summer. And I know it's a small sample size, but he hit 300 with wood bats. He had an ops over a thousand. He walked as much as he struck out. And, you know, there's some good players who played small colleges, but yeah, he's, I mean, he can really, really hit. Yes. You know, it's the big South. It wasn't the ACC, you know, from a, a number standpoint, I mean, he had four, four Oh seven, he had a 1283 ops, 15 homers, 19 steals, 39 walks, 19 strikeouts. He's got some of the best bat-to-ball skills in the draft. It's kind of unusual. He's got a huge leg kick. It's kind of pause and uphill right-hand swing. But I think it's just one of these guys, Dan, where he's got great hand-eye coordination. And like, well, I was going to say you or I, we, we couldn't hit pitching anyway. You, 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 if you gave his swing to a bunch of other players, they would be in trouble. But I, I think he, he makes it work. And, I, and I'm not too concerned. It, it, there's a lot of guys whose swings look different this year's draft. I'm not worried about that. But he... He makes a lot of contact. You know, it's I'm not it's it's not the same thing, but like you would never teach anybody to hit like Dustin Pedroia did. And even when Dustin Pedroia's in the minors, the scouts are like, what the hell is this? You can't swing, you can't swing from your ass every time. Like you can't do that. But Dustin Pedroia could because his hand-eye coordination was like an 80. It was off the charts. 
And so like, and that's why when everybody compared people to Dustin Pedroia, it's like, no, like, like that's, there's one of a kind there. Like, like he can do that because he's got the Hanai court. And I, I think Zach Neto, it's kind of, it's, it's not the same thing, but it's, it's similar. Like you would not teach a hitter, Hey, let's give you this big leg kick and this uphill swing and kind of pause in the middle. Like, like you would just screw guys up, but, but this is how Zach Neto hits and it works and he makes a ton of contact and he barrels the ball and he doesn't strike out. And I know it wasn't a full season on the Cape in the half season. He did the same thing with wood and I think he could say it's short. You know, he's probably more of an average shortstop. He's got quick hands and feet. He's got good instincts. You know, he's not, it's probably more of an average runner. Um, I mean, this guy hit like 93, 94 miles an hour, you know, when he pitched relief, he's got a good arm. He, he's a really good player. Um, I feel like he's the guy, like we have a 17th on our draft board. And, and you, when you line these guys up, the difference between say 10 and 20, you know, various pockets isn't much. So like, like Zach Neto is a guy who might, he might go eighth on draft day. He, he might be the guy you were talking about when we were talking earlier that goes higher than the consensus of where he's ranked. Like he might go eight or 10 spots higher, but it's not, it's just teams like him. Like, I, I think he's firmly in that second tier of college bats with Jace Young and Daniel Susak and Gavin Cross. I would throw Chase DeLouder in there. I, I love Chase DeLouder, James Madison, I think a little more than the industry does, but he, he's a really good player and he'd be a guy. He'd be pretty interesting. Like he'd be pretty interesting. I, I like him a lot. I think you had us at swings from his ass, Jim Callis. I <laughs> well, just no, that was it. more Pedroia. Like Neto, Neto, like you see, when you watch Pedroia, you felt like how can he? How can you swing like that at every pitch? Neto's more like I, I'm not even doing. We I, I, there's got to be video out there of him in the Cape Cod League last summer. I don't know if there's Campbell highlights because NCAA highlights are sometimes hard to get on social media. But um, but Campbell may have tweeted some out. But like like if you watch it, it's very unconventional. And if you saw that guy, and you you didn't have any idea what kind of player he was, if you just saw the swing, you'd be like, oh, I don't know if that can work. But it can really work. And I'll give you another example. I remember watching Bo Bichette at the uh, high school All America, the Under Armour All America game at Wrigley at Wrigley Field, and his swing was really busy. There was a lot of stuff going on with the hands, and it was complicated. And and, and like and I think that was a knock on him at the time. Talking to Scott, I'm not. Yeah, I consider myself more reporter than scout, but even I can just like, man, that's like complicated swing. Like there's a lot going on there. Like, is that really going to work when you're facing guys throwing 95 and, and a lot better breaking ball, breaking stuff and, and Bobby Sheck can hit. And so like, it's just some guys do it like unorthodox, but they are just really good hitters and it works for them. Like, again, I don't think you would teach somebody to hit the way Bobby Shed hits, but it really works well for Bobby Shed. Jim Callis from the good folks at MLB Pipeline, a senior writer there. I know he's going to be pretty busy here as we ramp up. We're just a couple of weeks away from the MLB draft. Jim, thank you very much for taking the time with us. Excited to see how it shakes out and excited to see all the coverage from your guys. And thank you again for joining us. Oh, glad to, Dan. Thank you. That is Jim Callis right here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. That's Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline. He's the best. Where else are you going to get 45 minutes on the MLB draft with one of the best MLB draft prognosticators, reporters in the game? He is the Todd McShay of the Major League Baseball draft. Yeah, you see, we started with Mel Kuyper, but by the end, we landed on Todd McShay. One thing we can promise you, no matter who that selection is for Detroit at number 12, He's going to be on this very program coming up in the weeks ahead. So you're not going to want to miss another episode going forward. Make sure, if you're not already, to follow the show, 
to rate the show. If you like what you're hearing, grab your phone, click the podcast page button, go to the bottom of the page, hit that five-star button. This is something we do for you, and the best way you can ensure this show pops up every single week is by hitting that five-star rating. Let's take a look at the road ahead. Loway Lakeland is back home. They've got Bradenton in town for a six-game set, while West Michigan goes off to Dayton. They take on the Dragons. That's high A for the Cincinnati Reds. They usually play Tuesdays through Sundays, but because the 4th of July falls on a Monday, the Whitecaps and many other teams around minor league baseball will actually play a Monday game to celebrate our nation's independence. Then they'll take an off day the following day. So Tuesday, probably going to be a pretty quiet day throughout minor league baseball. Meanwhile, Erie travels to Harrisburg and takes on the AA Senators. That's the Washington Nationals AA team for six games, while Toledo faces the Iowa Cubs, and they open a six-game series. That's a look at the road ahead, and that's a wrap for Episode 4, Season 3 of the Road to Detroit podcast. A huge thanks to Jim Callis. He's now been on this show more than once. He's officially a repeat offender. My man, Jim Callis, thanks for helping out, and thanks for hanging out with us here on the road to Detroit. Look forward to seeing all that coverage as we close in on the MLB draft. The Detroit Tigers picking number 12. Feels like there's a lot riding on that pick for Detroit. We'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, happy 4th of July week for our producer, Nate Wangler. My name's Dan Hasty, and until next time. See ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.